Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I thank God the Almighty, who let me be born of royal blood and made me queen of this great and mighty realm. I also thank him for having endowed me with exceptional success and favours. I also wish to thank the men who carried on the government of the nation before I came of age, and the Royal Council and the Parliament for the loyalty and devotion they have always shown me. While I was carrying out my obligations, I never did anything with which my conscience would have to find fault. As far as in me lay, I sacrificed my tranquillity to promote yours and to obtain the advantages you now enjoy." My conscience confers its positive and sincere approval on the whole of my reign. In this prince, I give you a king who possesses such great qualities that he will diligently follow in the footsteps of my father and bring you prosperity. To ensure this prosperity of yours was my sole motive in contemplating the step I am taking today, I swear by my honour to promote the welfare of Sweden and her people in the future too. Christina of Sweden abdicating the throne, June Welcome to the other half. Episode 4.22, Christina of Sweden, The Road to Rome. Last time, the enigmatic Christina became Queen of Sweden after her father died on the field of battle, determined to run things her own way. Emulating her heroine, Elizabeth I, she refused to marry and attempted to turn Sweden into a cultural superpower. Her early reign was dominated by fights with her ministers about her marriage and war overseas, but by 1651, things seemed more settled. Sweden was at peace, the succession was secured with the naming of Carl Gustav as her heir, and Christine herself had been finally crowned queen. But we left off the episode on quite the cliffhanger with the 23-year-old Christina telling her stunned family that she wanted to abdicate. Today we will see one of the greatest conscious uncouplings in European royal history, 
as Christina did two unthinkable acts. Give up both her throne and her faith. Before we get going with that, I'd like to remind you that the vote for choosing the topic of the next season is still open on the Patreon page. The gap is rapidly closing between the top two options, so get in your vote if you haven't already. Only my wonderful patrons get to vote on this, so to have your say, sign up at patreon.com forward slash the other half podcast. Now, you may have noticed that this is a slightly shorter episode than usual this week, because it's my birthday, FYI, and I let things get a little bit away from me. I hope you don't feel too hard done by. No doubt the next one will be an extra bumper edition to compensate. To all my new listeners, welcome. To the rest of you, welcome back. Why did Christina of Sweden want to abdicate? It's a question that's surprisingly difficult to answer. In the annals of European history to that point, only a tiny number of monarchs had abdicated their thrones, and even fewer had done so willingly. Most, like Richard II of England or Mary I of Scotland, were forced abdications, following defeat on the battlefield or a palace coup. There are a small number of retirements, like, say, the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V, where a monarch, after a long reign, sought to live out the rest of their time in peace. And indeed, there are almost no monarchs who have voluntarily given up the throne against the will of their subjects. In this, as in so many things, Christina of Sweden was a trailblazer. So why did she do it? Well, there are a few competing ideas. The first, and most obvious, is that of religion. As we shall see, Christina is about to convert to Catholicism and depart in exile to Rome. She had been long conversing with Catholic thinkers like Descartes, and saw the Roman faith as being more liberal and tolerant than the rigid Lutheran thinkers surrounding her. With that in mind, some have suggested that, like St. Paul, she had a Damascene moment. And after all, it would be unthinkable for a Catholic to rule Protestant Sweden. But there is a flaw to this logic. Christina would later state that she had been considering abdication as early as 1646. This is earlier than the arrival of René Descartes and her burgeoning correspondence with Catholic thinkers. Religion may have had a hand in her thinking, but it was far from her only concern. It also doesn't seem likely that it was because of some crisis of confidence or fear of being pushed. She may have frustrated some of her close advisers and pursued policies with which they disagreed, but there was no threat to her throne, nor was there some foreign menace on the horizon which she feared. She had grand ideas for the future of Sweden and was presiding over its golden age. No, the main reason seems to be one of well-being. She simply did not enjoy being queen. It didn't bring her joy. It wasn't what she wanted to do with her time. 
the job brought with it enormous pressures and responsibilities. We've discussed the question of her marriage. Perhaps she feared that she may be forced into it one day. The role brought with it considerable spotlight, and with her, let's call it, unconventional private life and tastes, perhaps she welcomed not being the big dog of the kingdom. She also yearned to travel, to see the world. She longed to go to France, Spain and Italy, but such travel was unthinkable for a Protestant ruler. She couldn't exactly take a sabbatical. Our best answer, in Christina's own words, comes in a letter she wrote to the French ambassador in 1654. Quote, How greatly will I rejoice in the thought that I cheerfully showed some kindness to some people and pitilessly punished those who deserved it. I shall retain the pleasant consolation of never having treated anyone as guilty who was innocent, and indeed of having spared some who were guilty. I reckon the good of the state above all else. I gladly sacrificed everything to it. Without being arrogant or vainglorious, I exerted my power, and I lay it down painlessly and with ease. No need to feel concerned on my behalf. My position is secure. My well-being is not exposed to the vagaries of chance. Happy I shall be as long as I am assured that I have nothing to fear from man or God. I shall spend the rest of my life familiarising myself with these ideas, strengthening my soul and from my haven watching the stormy passage of my fellow men, whose lives are at the mercy of the waves because they failed to give their minds to such thoughts. Am I not enviable? If my state of mind were generally known, too many envious men would begrudge me my happiness. In this letter, to a Catholic friend of hers, she does not mention religion at all in this picture of serenity. In his biography of Christina, Sven Stolper calls it a form of stoicism, a commitment to follow the course of her own happiness rather than blindly forging the way on the path that had been originally set out for her. Simply put, she just didn't want to be queen anymore, and she hadn't for some time. But getting her way would not be easy. She made official her wish to abdicate in August 1651, less than a year after her coronation as queen, and 22 years after she had inherited the throne as a child. She told her council that she had thought long and hard about this, and that this was her final decision, and could not be changed. Now, once they have picked up their collective jaws from the floor, they responded by rejecting her decision. It was impossible. She had made a solemn promise to God and to the people of Sweden that she would serve as their queen until her death. It was a binding contract, one that could only end with her death. Led by a chancellor, Oxenstierna, the councillors penned a response that they handed to her a few weeks later in which they laid out in greater detail their objections to her plan. Christina initially restated her intention to abdicate, but after a few weeks of negotiations said that she changed her mind, she would stay as their queen. So why the sudden change of heart? Well, there are three possible reasons. The first is that she was genuinely touched by the vehemence of her people's reaction. As a woman in a man's world and doing what was considered a man's job, to be considered so indispensable must have been quite the ego boost. 
Second was the diplomatic situation, which was still a little delicate. A dramatic change in monarch could make Sweden look weak on the world stage. And finally, she seems to have given very little thought about what she would do after she had abdicated the throne. Where would she go? What would she do? Given how long she had been planning this moment, one would have thought she would have made some plans. But that isn't really Christina's style. So, for now, Christina would remain as Queen of Sweden. But if her subjects hoped that this was the end of all of it, they would be proven mistaken. This was a retreat, not a defeat. While Sweden's ruling class breathed a sign of relief, not everyone shared in it. The kingdom was still in dire financial straits, and trouble continued to brew. In December 1651, Carl Gustav was sent an anonymous letter urging him to depose the queen, take the throne, and dismiss her ministers who were running the country into the ground. Carl Gustav immediately informed the queen, who pointed the finger at historian, known troublemaker, and her former friend, John Messenius. He was well known for his opposition to Oxenstierna, which had previously recommended him to Christina. But, for whatever reason, she turned on him and had him and his son arrested. They denied any involvement initially, but confessed under torture. Without any trial or anything resembling due process, they were condemned to death. Messenius was beheaded, while his son suffered the far more gruesome fate of being broken on the wheel. This was widely viewed as a grave injustice, and worse was to come from Christina. In his will, Messenius bequeathed his vast collection of books to Christina on the condition that she would ensure that his widow and daughters would be provided for. She took the books, but let the women slide into poverty and obscurity. This wasn't her finest hour. As Queen of Sweden, Christina was head of the Swedish Lutheran Church. Sweden just fought a war with major Catholic powers that was hugely costly in terms of death and treasure. The practising of Roman Catholicism was officially banned in her country under penalty of death. So Christina's burgeoning interest in the faith could hardly take place in the open. So how did she go from being a committed Lutheran to a Catholic exile? Well, the simple answer is that she never was a committed Lutheran in the first place. It was too stern, too austere for her tastes. It was also associated with her homeland, which she saw as grey, uncultured and conservative. We've spoken before about her affinity with Descartes, but she was also close with the French ambassador Chanou. Under the cover of discussing foreign affairs, Chanou worked hard to dispel some of the more outlandish misconceptions about Catholicism, while, no doubt, sweeping a few things under the carpet. She'd also collected a vast amount of Catholic texts to fill the nation's book collection, but her true conversion would not take place until the years after her original decision to abdicate in 1651. It all began with the Portuguese ambassador's secretary, a Jesuit priest called Antonio Macedo. 
Under the cover of negotiating a trade treaty, he set about the task of progressing Christina's interest in Catholicism to a full-on conversion. We've already discussed a bit the aspects of Catholicism that attracted her, but she also had very real concerns. What about the Inquisition? What about its treatment of scientists and intellectuals? Macedo did a masterful politician's job, and soon was on his way back to Rome to report that there was a very real chance that the Queen of Sweden could be about to convert. Once he arrived there, he had an audience with our old friend and Olympia Medalkini's great rival, Cardinal Chigi, Pope Innocent's Secretary of State. Chigi dispatched two more Jesuit priests to continue Christina's indoctrin, I mean Catholic, education. These men were to be disguised as wealthy Italian tourists and instructed to behave as uncatholically as their consciences would allow. They went under aliases, and Christina was given the fake name of Signor Teofilio Tancredo, which they used in their reports back to Rome. Another Jesuit, a Dane this time, called Gottfried Franken, heard gossip from the Spanish ambassador that Christina was potentially on the turn, and also made his way to Stockholm. Together, these priests, under various covers and pretexts, spent hours at a time with Christina, answering her questions about theology. The faith they presented to her was a modern, dynamic form of Catholicism, informed by reason. Christina was not someone that was much interested in dogma. She hoped to be able to follow some hybrid faith, to be able to use her love of reason to pick and choose aspects that she believed and find homes in both faiths. The priests quickly disabused her of that notion. There was some flexibility in the Catholic Church regarding doctrine, but there were hard and fast rules, and you had to pick a side. Reason and tolerance would only get you so far, even in the very rosy picture of the faith that they presented. Perhaps she had a notion of a conversion along the lines of Charles II of England, who remained outwardly Protestant but Catholic at heart. In these early months, it was still very much an open question about whether she still planned to abdicate. Could she still perhaps have her cake and eat it? It's hard to say, but over the course of her conversations with the priests, she realised that she would have to choose between Catholicism or her crown. And by the end of 1652, she had made her decision. She would take the road to Rome. The vehicle that would take her there was the Spanish ambassador Antonio Pimentel. He had been dispatched to Stockholm to check on Swedish military strength, negotiate a trade treaty, and see if Christina might be interested in marrying a Spanish prince. But the Queen had a very different plan in mind for this dashing former general. She knew that when she abdicated, she would need a safe and comfortable harbour somewhere she could live the rest of her life in comfort. She always intended her final destination to be Rome, but she would need to stay somewhere in the interim, and had identified the Spanish Netherlands, modern-day Belgium, as the perfect place. For that, she would need an inn with the Spanish, and Pimentel was the ideal man for that. The two spent so much time together in negotiations that tongues began to wag that they were having a secret fling, 
If you've seen the 1933 film Queen Christina, starring Greta Garbo, this focuses on this supposed affair, but it is a film that is in the Braveheart school of historical hogwash. If you remember from her first attempt to vacate the throne, she had been foiled, in part, because she had no plan of where she would go next, and had no support from within her own ruling council. With Pimentel's help, she solved the former issue, and next dealt with the latter. She appointed a new slate of council members, with the excuse being that with the significant increase in the kingdom's size following the end of the Thirty Years' War, they needed greater representation from these new areas. She packed the chamber with people she knew would be loyal to her and would go along with her plan. Finally, by the start of 1654, three years on from her first attempt to abdicate, she gathered her ministers and advisers and informed them that she wanted to do so again. Once more, they refused to accept her decision, but this was a far more half-hearted rejection. Only Chancellor Oxenstierna had any real conviction on this matter. The rest were either loyal to Christina or had decided to accept the inevitable. All that was left to do then was to negotiate a settlement. Christina wasn't just going to head off into the sunset. Her abdication came with conditions. She demanded a hefty annual stipend, lands to be ceded to her, and for her to be able to keep the title of queen and honorific of your majesty. There was considerable grumbling about this, but Christina was nothing if not a tough negotiator, and so got her way. And so, on the 6th of June, 1651, the most extraordinary ceremony took place in the castle of Uppsala. With the great and the good of the kingdom in attendance, she entered the hall wearing full coronation robes, crown on her head, and the regalia of office lying on cushions on a table at the head of the room. When she reached the table, she paused for a moment, as if in contemplation, and then turned to address the room. She gave a brief speech, which I quoted from at the start of the episode. She said that she'd done everything she'd set out to do. She had sacrificed much to serve her country, and now it was time to pass on the torch. She released her subjects from their obligations of loyalty to her, and instructed attendants to symbolically remove the crown from her head and coronation robes from her shoulders. There she stood, dressed all in white, the weight of rulership lifted off her. She then curtsied to the new king, Carl Gustav, and departed to a private room alone. She was 27 years old, young and free to do, for the first time, whatever she wanted and go wherever she wanted. And of course, where she wanted to go was Rome.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.